I loved it. I send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. We're just getting right into it. And we're the Horror Queers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we are doing our second entry into Women in Horror Month. And we are talking about Always Shine by Sophia Takal. Now, listeners, I understand that some of you may not know what this is. And we tried to give you a heads up last week. Uh, but at the time, I did not know where you could find this movie to watch that was cheap and or free. Well, if you have a Shudder subscription, it is on Shudder. So you can watch yeah. that. There you go. And then come back and listen to this. Or if you don't really want to put the time in to watch it, listen to us anyway. And you can just hear the whole story. I don't know. <laughs> it's your life. I mean, you should always go and watch the movie. It will give you a better sense of what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> yes. And there's actually a lot to talk about in this film. Also, though, another week where I do wish we had a woman <laughs> to talk about these themes with. <laughs> no. I mean, I yeah, I think we would have benefited from it. But I'm going to just encourage, ladies, if you're listening, please reach out to us via Twitter using the hashtag HorrorQueers. And tell us whether or not this movie speaks to any of your experiences. Because I'd be really interested if this is more of a movie actress thing or if this is a female friendship thing. I I think it's a female friendship thing, to be honest. Because, like, you know, even going back to Jenner's body, it, it's kind of in there, too. So I feel like it has to be in some male friendships. But I'm surprised that it hasn't, like, really eked its way into films yet. Maybe it's because women are more in tune with, like, what they're feeling. And so they put that in their films more. Maybe that's well, I think there's... There's also a weird tendency in Hollywood to uh, dramatize female friendships in catty fashions. Mm -hmm. And I think the perception is that girls fight dirtier. That's why we get a bunch of teen comedies about the same kind of things like Mean Girls, right? Which, spoiler alert, uh, that's kind of why I like this movie so much. Because it, it presents it in a, a very non-Hollywood way, despite being very much about how Hollywood perceives women. Yeah. Well, do you think the fact that it's an indie film has something to do with that, too? Oh, 100 fucking percent. Like, there's there's no... Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. If you give this to someone in Hollywood... Actually, well, interestingly enough, you give this to someone in Hollywood, they're going to turn it into Sophia Tikal's next feature, in, uh, New Year, New You, which is running as one of the episodes of uh, Hulu's Into the Dark series, because it's a very similar concept, but definitely Hollywoodized. Hmm. Not in a bad way. I actually did enjoy it. I watched it just before we, we started the, recording this, uh, just so I could kind of get a feel for her work, because I've never seen... Well, she's only done three films with this new one, and I, did, I, I didn't look at the first one. But yeah, no, the, this one and Into the Dark, um, New Year, New You have very, very similar themes, but Into the Dark is a little bit more... I, I know I say accessible a lot in this show, but <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is for less patient viewers who maybe want more bang for their buck or more of a payoff, that's what I mean by more accessible. It's less... A little less art fair. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Okay. So, Trace, what the fuck is this movie? This movie. So, Always Shine. Well, I'll just go through some facts and you... Well, you go through the plot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, again, though, it's, it's another recent movie. It's November 26, 2016. It had a very, very limited release. Uh, according to Box Office Mojo, it was one theater where it opened with $4,200 in the 65th place. So, really? yeah. Yeah, not a big film. The distributor was Oscilloscope Pictures. <laughs> Yeah, right, oscilloscope. Right. Oscilloscope, okay. Uh, it only ended up grossing $17,000. I couldn't find a budget on it, but um, I would imagine it's very small. Um, based on some of the interviews I pulled with Tikal, it seemed like it was made for almost nothing, which, granted, the movie doesn't really demand a big budget because it's very small and personal. But um, mm -hmm. Still, that's shocking. When I read the fact sheet, I thought you had missed I thought you had missed a zero. <laughs> so I was like, oh, $17 million. That's pretty good. This is... Like, I could totally imagine this film being a minor hit in that fashion. So to hear that it only made that little is yeah. a little shocking. Well, and you know, and even for being like an indie film that's admittedly more of a slow burn, it's I don't think it's boring at all. And even the way that these characters are introduced, well, we'll get into it. Uh, mm -hmm. So very well received by critics at the time, uh, uh, at the time. Three years ago. Uh, <laughs> 91% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 7.1 out of 10. However, 
audiences were less into it, as evidenced by, you know, just Shocking. lack of accessibility that I mentioned earlier. 52% positive from audiences with a 3.3 out of 5, or to match the critics, a 6.6 out of 10. So not far off, I guess... I'm guessing when when people give a movie a three on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe they say that that's a rotten for them. I don't know. Maybe people hold their their scores higher. It's anything below a five is rotten. So or well, so four, maybe rotten. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Nevertheless, clearly I've we never... should know this since we're both <laughs> tomato approved critics. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, no, no, no. For to, but see, I think when you're an audience, though, you can pick because when I put in my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, I can select you know rotten or fresh. And honestly, for me, out of five, if it's a if it's below a two and a half, it's rotten. If it's above a two and a half, it's fresh. And then if it is a two and a half, then I basically go with the tone of my review. Is it a positive leaning two and a half or a negative leaning two and a half? The same with me. Or in my case, it's a three and a half for the Predator, and I still labeled it rotten. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ugh. God. That movie's fun. I don't care what any fucking person says. And I, I have our editor, Brad Miska, backing us on that. That movie is fun as shit. It's a mess, but it's fun. But this isn't about the Predator. <laughs> this is about Always Shine. Why can't you stay on topic? <laughs> I don't know, man. So, yeah, uh, 72 out of 100 on Metacritic with a 6.1 out of 10 audience score on Metacritic. Directed by Sophia Tikal, which is her second feature. Her first feature is uh, something called Green, which I have never seen before, but apparently it does deal with similar themes of jealousy. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all I got. I like that all of the interviews that you and I searched out for this, it was basically like, she made this movie with her then boyfriend, now husband, and everybody loved it. And then Simon Barrett, the yes. writer behind <laughs> Your Next and a couple of other things, was like, Blair Witch. Mm, people, sh- people should have died in this. And, sh- and it, uh, I really didn't like it because it kind of made it sound like, oh, well, the reason I made this next film and the reason I made it more of a thriller was because Simon Barrett told me to. And I was like, hmm. This is icky. But it works in this movie, which, um, well, spoiler alert, one of these characters dies. Uh, but again, if you're listening to this podcast, you should really have already seen the movie. But, you know, we're, we're going to go through the whole plot. And we're totally spoiling everything. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, written by, as you just said, her then-fiancé, now-husband. I think I think when they made this movie, they were already married. But um, Lawrence Michael Levine, who's also in the movie. So mm-hmm. lots of um, we'll incest to that here. <laughs> um he doesn't have any notable credits to his name and um i mean that's really it but the real stars of the show and i I think to call to call does a really good job directing the film but the stars of the show here are these two lead actresses and i do want to talk about them at at length and we will but first ad nauseum and i was gonna say ad nauseum that has a negative connotation so first is caitlin fitzgerald playing Oh, is it Beth? Yes, it's Beth. I confuse the name so much in my notes. (laughs) I'm like, Anna, Beth, wait, Anna Beth? (laughs) Now, the first scene of this, so you have Caitlin Fitzgerald, who um, isn't as famous as Mackenzie Davis, but um, Caitlin Fitzgerald is known best, at least when this movie was made, for being Doctor, uh, not Doctor, but um, Libby Masters on Masters of Sex, the Showtime series Mm -hmm. that starred Lizzie Kaplan and Michael Sheen as Masters and Johnson, the sex researchers. And if anyone watches or watched Rip, Unreal. She was the sutress in season three of Unreal, which um, I actually liked her on that show a lot. And this third season was a step up from season two, which wasn't hard to do. But yeah, I could not get back after season two. Dude. No, yeah. See, and season four so quick. It's eight episodes. It's like super quick. Then we have Mackenzie Davis as Anna, who honestly, I've only seen her in this and Tully. Oh, but yeah, she's in Blade Runner 2049. She's in The Martian. The Martian. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That's a tiny role for her. Okay, cool. I wasn't sure. And then I guess she's a main player on the TV show Halt and Catch Fire. Halt and Fire. Catch Fire. And it's amazing. I will wholeheartedly recommend that. Very non-genre. So this is off-brand for us. But if people are looking for quote-unquote prestige television, it's about the rise of the personal home computer in the 1980s. And it's got our queer favorite Lee Pace in one of the lead roles. Wait, is he gay? He is. I did not know that, but I love Pushing Daisies. Um, that mm-hmm, plot summary. The pie you, maker. <laughs> yeah. But that plot summary you just gave for that show does not make me want to watch it. And I think that's why I've read the plot summary before. And I was like, ooh, not for me. It's basically Mad Men for home computing. But the first season is a little rocky because it focuses on the two men. So it's Lee Pace and Scott uh, McNary. And they're both really Scoot. good. 
Scoot, thank you, Scoot McNary. And the second season realizes that Mackenzie Davis and the other woman whose name I can't remember, tweet me, those two are an essential part of the cast. And when it becomes about the four of them, it takes off. Like, I'd say almost read a plot summary of the first season and then dive right into season two. No, if I ever want, is is it AMC? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, if I ever get into it, I'll just watch it. I mean, like, you know. If I can make it through Legend of Tomorrow season one, I can make it through one season of Halt and Catch Fire. But Mackenzie Davis also has one other notable. Oh, you, go ahead. Do you have that on there? I don't think so. Oh, okay. She's in San Junipero for the Black Mirror episode that uh, everybody loves. Yeah, no, I know what it is. I've never seen it, but I, trust me, if I ever watch Black Mirror, I will fucking watch San Junipero. It's a, I believe, Emmy and maybe Golden Globe winning Episode, no, so. I know that sounds really like bitchy of me to say that. Like, I, I'm sure it's great. I just have not gotten around to watching it. And I've seen so many people talk wonderful things about it. So it, it's on my list. I'll get to it one day. I'm just not in a rush. Everybody tell tell Trace that he needs to watch it because it really yeah. is good. Or just go fuck off because I, I, I know. I know I'm supposed to watch it. <laughs> um, wow. Why do you all like him more? He's so aggressive. Uh, no, I'm just honest. So, that's kind of your rundown of Always Shine. Now, Joe, would you like to tell everyone what what happens in this movie? Sure. I'm going to do a bit of a condensed yeah, reading, yeah. and then we can fill in the gaps. Because I mean, it's not huge on plot, all things considered. Yeah, not a lot happens. I mean, a lot happens, but not a lot happens, if that makes yeah. any sense. <laughs> Let's go through it. Okay. Uh, okay, so the logline is Best Friends Anna, that's Mackenzie Davis, and Beth. That's uh, Caitlin Fitzgerald. They take a weekend trip to Big Sur, hoping to reestablish a bond broken by years of competition and jealousy. They're both actresses. Yeah. Tensions mount, however, leading to an an unexpected yet inevitable confrontation, changing both of their lives forever. So essentially, this is a pair of friends who have had a very healthy rivalry over parts. And Anna is less successful, and she really covets and is envious of Beth's success and Beth is the sort of mousier one and I don't know that you would say she's better looking but she has a look that is more in demand it's a more conventionally attractive look yes she's also more traditionally feminine and Mm -hmm. pliable and agreeable and meek so she's more in line with what men in the industry are looking for whereas anna is what you would say she's more of like a ball buster she's abrasive she's aggressive she's confrontational aka she speaks her mind yeah so exactly she's like a bit of a bitch but in a way that doesn't work to her benefit in something like the casting coach or the casting process. So they, they've they had a falling out, and this weekend is their opportunity to come back together, and it basically just brings out all of the old bitchiness. Anna blames Beth for not getting her part. She thinks that Beth is covertly sabotaging her career and beth meanwhile is like uh i'm basically in beer commercials and doing b-level horror shit my life is not that great and they end up having this big falling out about two-thirds of the way through the film at which point i'm not sure if it's not supposed to be clear that anna kills beth but it's pretty fucking clear well the first time i saw this admittedly because this is the second time i've seen it i i I was not 100% paying attention. I was like often on my computer watching this movie and I was like, wait, like, because the third act's kind of like a fever dream, even though everything that's happening is actually happening. <laughs> yes. uh, it, yeah. But watching this, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's totally obvious. She kills this bitch, like strangles the fuck out of her, which we don't know that's how she does it. But we find that out later. But she's definitely like super 100 percent dead. Yeah. So they they basically like they run into the woods after each other. And then the next morning only Anna is around, but she begins to take on Beth's role and she sees Beth in her role. And that's kind of why it's a fever dream. It's like a little bit surreal. A lot of people have compared it to Persona, to Mulholland Drive in that sort of, you can't really trust exactly what's going on, but I would say it's actually easier to follow than those films. I've never seen Persona, but yes, it's definitely (laughs) easier to follow than Mulholland Drive. But yeah, so she basically like puts on her clothes and like acts as her just to see what her life is like for a day. And mm-hmm. we'll also yeah, we'll get into it, but it's making a big statement. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, that that's basically it, right? Like she tries on Beth's life for a day and that's more or less the third act until she, I kind of 
think mentally breaks down and at that point she realizes what she's done and the film ends when she wanders back to the cabin after spending a rough night in the woods mm -hmm. and the coroner is there taking Beth's body away and Beth's boyfriend Paul I think so I, don't, I don't know he's so all the men are super disposable <laughs> in this film I was like can't tell these guys apart and I don't care well the, the bartender is nice the one who's like well, all I was doing was saying oh it's Jane Adams's brother because like Jane Adams plays his sister in the movie, so I was like, that's just how I like associated him. Okay. Jane Adams, if any of you don't know, she was in HBO's Hung and also right. in Little Children, aka the woman that Jackie O'Haley masturbated in front of in the car. <laughs> that is a great <laughs> point of reference. That's that's basically like every time I see Jane Adams, I'm just like, fuck, like Jackie Earl Haley's just masturbating in front of you. It's happening. So Ew, time's up. We <laughs> we will let's just dive in from the beginning. So first yeah. The movie starts with a quote, and I, mm. I don't always pay attention to quotes when they start movies. I mean, because, you know, they could be something deep and meaningful, or it could be something like that fucking white horse quote in Halloween 2. You never know. Because <laughs> sometimes they have an air of pretension behind them, and I, I really hate the word pretentious, but I'm like, look, I just want to watch your movie. I don't need to read a quote about why this movie's thematic or something. I don't know. I'll get the theme on my own as I'm watching it. But... The shit is deep, Trace. It, no, it, so the quote that starts this movie, it's a woman's birthright to be attractive and charming. In a sense, it is her duty, ellipses. She is the bowl of flowers on the table of life. And that's John Robert Powers from The Secrets of Poise, Personality, and Model Beauty. But it does tie into the whole theme of the movie, which, to be clear, I do like this movie a lot. But then my first note is, fuck, I love Caitlin Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did you bring up the quote if you're not going to talk about it? No, I mean, like, no, so the whole theme of this movie is basically you have these two women. The one that is less successful is arguably the more talented one in the group. And mm -hmm. actually, that's why I like watching Kayla Fitzgerald in this movie is because she is a very good actress who is playing a subpar actress. But she's more successful because, as you said already, she's more conventionally pretty. She's what the woman is supposed to be like. And I didn't look up what this John Robert Powers book was on the secrets of poise, personality, and model beauty, but something tells me it's something from, like, the 50s with some man telling women how they need to be in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, so some of the interviews that you pulled for us to give a bit of context, it frames the creation of the film. So Lawrence Michael Levine and Sophia Takal... Takal. 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 They they apparently drew both the quote and the movie's title, Always Shine, from these a range of different women's literature on things like how to be a model wife, but also how to be like a Miss America beauty pageant and that kind of stuff. And it's this idea that like to be a woman means that you always have to shine, you always have to be on, you can never be forgettable, but also you need to be like the beautiful table setting, like, <laughs> which really, I mean, ugh, if you're thinking about the role of a woman from a man's perspective. And he's saying, we are basically table setting, which is like, yeah. that's so demeaning. <laughs> well, and it's interesting to think about when this was made, because this is probably filmed in early 2016. It was doing the festival circuit summer of 2016, but it was released November 26th, which is about three weeks after Trump was elected a presidency. So mm -hmm. it's really, to me, interesting, just like, again, in like the six months between festival circuit and like the release and how, and even now watching it now, and after yeah. all this, like, Me Too stuff is going on, how more and more relevant movies like this are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Sophia Takal clearly has a bone to pick <laughs> with somebody. But also, because in these interviews, too, she was saying how the, the idea for the, for the script even came from just, like, she was seeing a lot, I guess, the L.A. film circle, which is a very close-knit community. She was seeing friends of hers, female friends, become, like, get better jobs, become more successful. And she she was aware that she was jealous. She was getting angry. And this film was kind of like a therapy session for her. Which is good. Use your art as therapy, people. That's what it's there for. Yeah. I mean, granted, the Anna character, who is basically a stand-in for Tikal, murders her friend. So make of that <laughs> what you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go with that one <laughs> I, I, i'm sure it's fine i mean like whatever i did like the idea though that her stand-in is the less agreeable woman because i think it'd be really easy for somebody to watch this movie and misunderstand who that character is and just be like oh wow she's a bit of a bitch isn't she well yeah yeah okay so 
Okay, let, let's go into how they're introduced. Uh, because honestly, like, this movie nails these introductions like nobody's business. One fucking love the introductions. It's so good. So, yeah, the first shot is basically Beth. It's Caitlin Fitzgerald. She's just doing an audition. Or, I mean, what? It, I think it starts, like, you don't actually see, I think it's, like, a blackout. Like, you hear her voice. She, but she's doing an audition, like, like about to get raped or something. And she's crying and blah, blah, blah. It's this audition. It's on her face the whole time. You don't, as the men are giving her notes and directions, like, you don't see them. It stays on her 100%. Mm-hmm. Just a long take. Long take. And she is great. And then there's kind of this bit where, because at this point in the script that she's acting out, she has to take off her clothes. And she's, like, there's this kind of, like, she's like, well, I... Basically, she takes a lot of roles that require nudity, and that's why she gets these roles. Yes, ten times in two years. Yes. And again, it's like all these B-horror movies. So then we go through the credits, and then we get Anna. And it is presented in the exact same way. And in this one, she's quote-unquote auditioning, and it's like she's at a car shop, and he's trying to give her an extra charge. And she's basically like mouthing off at him, like cussing him out, saying like, I'm not paying for this, like you're fucking using me, blah, blah, blah. And then it reveals... You're just like, she's selling this drama so yeah. well. <laughs> no, and it's great. And then it cuts, and it reveals that she's actually just at a fucking car shop <laughs> talking to some guy who was trying to kind of rip her off. And it's yeah. great. And it really kind of builds the theme around each character, you know? Anna is always real, always 100% herself. Beth is always pretending for the whole mm-hmm. movie. To the point where it is really frustrating at some point. But halfway through the movie, I was like, Beth, just... Say what you're thinking. Just stop thinking it. It's so annoying. Well, and that, that I think, feeds into one of the film's strongest scenes, which is when they're at the cottage and they're out on the deck and Beth is reading over the script that Anna didn't know anything about. And mm-hmm. she's very surprised to find out that Beth has landed the lead in this atrocious sounding horror movie, which to me kind of sounded like... The three from adaptation, the Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> I'm she. She explained that plot. Well, sorry, uh, Beth explains it once, and then Anna as Beth explains it at the end of the movie. And honestly, I don't even remember what it was about, but it, it was a really it's, convoluted plot. <laughs> it's set in Iceland with like mythic stones, but then it turns yes! out that the thing that's murdering people is not the stones; it's the serial killer. <laughs> no, yeah, because it was going to be like a troll. It was going to be an evil troll movie, but there's not really a troll in the end, or something. Right. Yes. Yeah, which kind of says a little bit about what Takal thinks about the state of horror films, which I didn't exactly love, but whatever. Well, but did you catch in those interviews, though, where she even said, like, she doesn't watch a lot of genre work. She's not a big horror buff or genre, not a genre fan, per se, but she's not, she doesn't watch it, which Mm -hmm. I found rather fascinating Then that she leaned more into genre elements for this movie and then went on to go do Into the Dark for her next feature, which is essentially another horror-ish movie or at least has genre elements so it's like the Ariaster story where it's like oh i couldn't make a movie or i couldn't get the movie funded and then it was like i put in some horror and all of a sudden i could make the movie i really think that our backgrounds and where we live meaning canada versus america are affecting how we say things because i <laughs> think you said Ariaster, but you meant <laughs> you meant ari aster right <laughs> Yes, Ariasta. <laughs> I honestly don't know if it's the right way to say it. So, listeners, please tweet us. <laughs> how do you say it wrong? <laughs> how do you say Ariaster's name? Uh, by the way, he's the director of Hereditary. <laughs> yeah, Ariasta. Oh my god! You, it okay, sounds like one word. Um, <laughs> well, now I was just like playing with you, but no, that's exactly uh, anyway, how so you said it. <laughs> back to the scene. Yes. So. Work with me. I'm working with you. Um, so anyway. Okay, so they're so they're on the deck and they're Beth has the script and she's very like nonplussed about it. Like, oh, it's just a shitty horror film. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, sure, I'm just in every scene, whatever. And Anna essentially uses this as an opportunity to say, Okay, well, show me what you got. Like, I need to see why you're getting all these amazing roles. In not so many words. So they do a run through of the lines where Anna plays the male role and then Beth plays herself or the character that she would be playing. And then Anna hates the way that she's playing sassy. And I'm saying that in quotation marks because I don't really think that the role is sassy. It's bitchy, but. Well, sure. no, no. The way Anna plays it is bitchy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because sassy is more like not serious. Like you're just like, you know. Sassy's like a drag it's like queen. like taking the piss or something. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. So anyway, so they switch roles, and then Anna plays the the female role, and she just cuts into Beth. And it's great because the way that the shots are framed when they're doing the line read-throughs the first time, it's single shots. So you see Beth, and then you see Anna, and they're not really together. And then the minute that they swap roles, Anna is so in Beth's face that it's like, the camera just slowly zooms in and slowly zooms in until it's like, it looks like Anna is about to rip off Beth's face. And then she's like, and that's how you play it. <laughs> yeah. But it really speaks, I think, to the the heart of their relationship where Anna really does not understand why Beth is getting all these things. And Beth is like, you really don't have any kind of understanding of what my life is actually like. Like, mm-hmm. you put me on this pedestal. But at one point, she says, "You, I'd never realize how much you despise me. And the line is so cutting. And it's so true. Well, okay, so we did skip a couple things. Like, there are a couple instances that happen. This movie does cringe really well i think it's not where it's like outwardly like crazy ex-girlfriend cringy but it's like there are moments where you're just like ooh, like i'm i'm just a little uncomfortable watching this and even though i've never had this with an actor actress relationship there's moments like where you can feel anna's jealousy and oh yeah there's i think before this moment there's two big ones and basically it's like when they're first on their trip and they're eating at this diner and a quote-unquote fan of Beth's comes up and asks for her autograph and you can see Anna like looking kind of what the fuck is going on type thing but then the moment where I was like oh is when the fan asks Anna to take her picture with her she's yeah. like can you, can you just take the picture for us it's so simple but it just cuts and even mm-hmm. watching it you're like oh yeah, you're like, oh, she's such a nobody that she's basically reduced to being the photographer for fans. Yes. And then the second one is when um, Beth is showering and I, I, full view of Anna. Uh, mm-hmm. And Anna finds a magazine that features Beth in an ad. And she's upset because Beth didn't tell her about the ad. And it's these moments like this when – and I – I guess I can re- not relate to it, but I understand because it's like Beth tries to downplay how big of a deal it is that she's in this magazine. And she does it the whole movie, even with that script that they're reading. And she's like, it's not really a big deal. It's mm-hmm. just some stupid she's, script. She's quite the wallflower. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, why the fuck would you even bring the script out to read it if you don't want to, like, make a deal of it with Anna? Yeah, it's a tough call because, I mean, on one hand, I guess you could say, oh, well, she probably needed to learn her lines or maybe she had to make the call on the Monday morning and say, like, yes, okay, I'll do this stupid movie. But on the other hand, it is there's there's a subtle manipulation like Anna is very direct and confrontational, whereas I think you're right. Beth is a little bit more manipulative but she would probably say like, oh, no, I didn't like I didn't really mean for you to take it that way. It just so happened that you. You know, well, and, and I think that's kind of how the viewer reads Beth and also how Sophia to call reads Beth because she plays it, you know, very innocent, obviously. I mean, that, that, that's yes. why she gets all these roles, because a woman is innocent. She's not crude or crass. And by the way, listeners, I, I'm obviously like, this is what Hollywood. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is not Trace's personal This is not my opinions. opinion. I, I like Anna in this movie, even though she is kind of a bitch. And it's not because she's outspoken, but it's because she's also just kind of unreasonable for a lot of this movie. But Wait, so you like her because she's unreasonable? No, no, no. I, I, I like her brash honesty. but okay. So I like that part of her. But then the parts though where she is just unreasonable, I'm just kind of like, ugh. Also, you know, when she kills her friend, it's kind of like, ugh, like, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, really like. don't kill your friends okay? don't kill your friend you can fantasize about it you can make a movie about it just don't actually do it we don't endorse it we don't condone that but so but i can see though how someone like beth we bring that script out on purpose because she she knows how anna's gonna fucking react to that and how she's gonna talk about it she also brought the magazine with her ad in it why Mm-hmm. it's just in her suitcase on like the top part left open on the bed so it could be argued that she did, she planted it there. I mean, that's really up to interpretation, but 
it also seems like Anna's maybe just another fan of Beth, or like Beth views her as another fan, just a way to like feel better about herself and her rise in her career. That's interesting. I'd never thought of it that way. But now that you're saying it, yeah, it makes total sense. Particularly if you think of the fact that women are often also said to fight in different kinds of ways, right? So mm-hmm. there is the more direct, the more confrontational, but then there's also this other side where it's like secretly catty, secretly manipulative, like... Well, I'm just going to bring this magazine. Hmm. Oh, you found it? My bad. Well, and, and the movie never gives you an answer. I mean, the movie seems to imply that, yeah, no, it's Beth is just innocent in all this. But I think maybe certain types of viewers will read this and be like, uh-uh, bitch, I see through your shit. I know what you're doing, and it yeah. ain't fucking funny. <laughs> I know Beth. I've got a Beth in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, and again, like I think it's a testament to like the nuances that Kayla Fitzgerald gives to the role. And I actually kind of hate that she dies so soon. I mean, I say so soon. It's like an hour into this 87-minute movie. No, I'm 100% right there with you. To me, that's actually the biggest problem that I had with this film. The relationship between the two women is so interesting and so dynamic, and then when the confrontation physical actually happens, mm-hmm. uh, it it felt like it's just over. Like, I wanted it to continue to escalate and escalate and then have it. Like, as much as I liked the third act, it's a soft-like. Mm-hmm. Whereas I really liked the first hour. Like, I was loving the first hour. But but see, that's, that's where it comes in, though. This movie is not about their relationship. This movie is about Anna. And and this whole, you know, the, being the type of woman that you need to be to become successful. Which, reading those interviews with Sophia to call, kind of made me under, understand that ending more. I mean, not that I didn't understand the ending, mind you. But just that I was like... She wanted to tell this story. And I get that, but you're, uh, yeah, I, I actually would have preferred to like have this whole build up and then have like the killing be like the end of the movie. Well, I think the other problem too is that then your last act, I mean, Mackenzie Davis is brilliant and she's always interesting to watch. Like she's making really creative, interesting acting decisions. But at the same time, the last act is comprised of her interacting with a bunch of people that we've never met before. And I'm sorry, they're not interesting. Like, I don't care about the bartender. And I don't care that they go to the house of his sister. I think it's and, his sister. Or maybe, okay. oh, maybe it's friends. Oh, shit. Maybe I'm wrong. Actually, so I don't, know. don't it, quote Like, me it doesn't that. matter. Like, the whole thing is just that you're meant to be like, oh, that kid put on a Frankenstein mask, and then he pretend murders the mom, and it instigates her sort of dissociative mm-hmm. breakdown. And I'm like, yeah, I get all this. It's fine, whatever. But I don't really care about any of that. I think there were other more interesting ways that her breakdown could have occurred that I would have preferred i did like so i mean this girl like loses it before they she kills her there's like basically it kind of builds up into this scene where well okay let's go back yeah (laughs) let's rewind because i I do i feel like we need to talk about the bar scene yes that that that, yes i was like okay how far back am i going but yes they go to a bar together and they basically talk to this guy and first of all um Oh, you got his name? Wow. Man, I've got all the names. (laughs) Kudos to you. Vic, he's a hot 28-year-old who is not anywhere. Like, I was like, Anna, are you honestly trying to play this? (laughs) He's like, how old do you think I am? She's like, 28. (laughs) Like, bitch, no. He's obviously 40 to 45. (laughs) So Beth gets this, again, down to like what they drink is like very, you know, intentional so mm-hmm. Be- Be- have you got the names i don't know what beth gets but it's something super like effeminate whatever it's called do you know what it, it's you- called speaking in tongues okay yeah it's some stupid like 20 dollar cocktail that like a restaurant makes up with like you know cranberry juice would you like me to give you the recipe yeah actually go ahead <laughs> it's mezcal luxardo amaro fresh lemon juice simple syrup and two different kinds of bitters with a strawberry quartered. Oh, that actually doesn't sound that bad. No, it actually kind of sounds good. But it's like, that's bougie. There's like 12 ingredients and you have to like mush up the strawberries. Like, that's a lot of effort. But Anna gets a Sazerac. And I did know what that was because that's one of my favorite drinks of all time. Oh, that's hilarious. Do you know what I heard? What? <laughs> 
I thought it was a sales rack. No. And I was like, oh, that's good because she's like poor <laughs> and she's buying things on the sales rack. So deep. A Sazerac is um, born from New Orleans. Uh, that's kind of where it's from. But basically, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, oh, fuck. I mean, it's bourbon or rye or whiskey. It's one of those. But basically, they, the, <laughs> Those are different drinks. <laughs> they are. Well, no, they are. But they're all like whatever. Like the, the brown liquor. There you go. It's so the the glass is rinsed with absinthe, but it, you don't actually pour absinthe in the in the drink. And then it the liquor, which is the bourbon or the whiskey or the whatever, and then like some bitters and I want to say sugar, simple syrup maybe or sugar, maybe it's a sugar cube. I don't know. They're really good. I don't know what that. Whatever. Nevertheless, it is a quote unquote man drink. Because it's it's basically I mean it's all whiskey like that's all it is you know they have like a dash of bitters and like a little and an orange peel. Well, now we know why you like it. Yeah, because I'm a man. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say because you like whiskey. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so let no one doubt that Trace is a man. When, I'm, yeah, no. I, when I'm, he reads quotations at the openings of films, <laughs> he's a man. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so they have this guy come over and they like they go out to the patio with him and they're talking and Anna's flirting with him pretty hard. Yeah. But then she says something that, that like turns him off. That's a question, I guess. I don't even remember. What so it was. he mentions that he's there at a men's retreat and she starts kind of gently ribbing him and being like, oh, yeah, it's so weird that you're like going on these hikes together and you're doing the sweat lodge. And then he goes, you're really inquisitive. And then he goes to Beth. Is their friend usually this inquisitive? And th that's the end for Anna. Like she, she is. <laughs> she, she does not have a hope to get this guy. And so Beth goes to the bathroom. The guy meets up with her and gets her number even though she's a boyfriend who we've seen like once before and he doesn't matter who she literally was talking on the phone to and saying i really miss you and i love you <laughs> like two seconds before like beth have some self-respect <laughs> that's the thing i mean okay i even though sophia Tickle did not write this movie it was her husband i i would like to imagine that she like was maybe oh. reading it as he was writing it. <laughs> I think she was definitely contributing to it, for sure. She, she was over his shoulder reading this shit. Do you think T'Call has any empathy or sympathy for Beth? It's tricky. She really does kind of come off as a bit of a... I, I think it's an attempt to showcase different types of women and show how they can be bad for each other, but also that it's men and society at large that are really conditioning women to go after one another. Mm. So, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that she more strongly relates to Anna, but oh, I don't... 100%. I think she's modeling Beth on different people that she knows, and she's like, I don't hate these people, but I don't I don't think she relates to them in anywhere near the same way. But I do think then there's this bitterness inherent. And granted, she seems like a lovely woman. I mean, based on what I've read, I watched a video or two with her, like, she's great. But, you know, based on her saying, you know, this, this movie was kind of a way for her to get these feelings that she was having, these negative, like, feelings out. I'm just kind of, you know, like, shots in the dark here. I'm throwing darts in the wind. I don't know. Whatever the phrase is for that. So, you know. I kind of like it. I feel like it's it's the kind of emotional honesty that you tend not to see. Like, typically people would be like, oh, no, these are just, you know, representations of people that I've heard of. And I've had such lovely experiences. Like, I really respect the fact that she in all of these interviews came out and said i was feeling threatened i was feeling jealous it was really unhealthy <laughs> i needed to work through this and as a result i made a fucking feature-length film about this well no absolutely you know she clearly does relate more to anna like anna is more like who she is as a person and that's why i mean she clearly knows a beth in her life or two Beths mm -hmm. in her life and that's kind of where that where I would assume that character was born out of and right down to these little things that she does. So they, uh, she gives her number to the guy, Anna sees them. Then they go home, they go to bed, they wake up and then they do the script reading in the morning. After Beth hears Anna crying in the middle of the night and can't be bothered to go in and see if she's okay. Yes. This friendship is over from it, the beginning of toxic. this toxic. <laughs> yeah. Like these two should not be friends, essentially. Well, so have you ever been in a like a friendship or anything where someone was doing better than you in a similar field? Because I, Trace, I asked you to keep our our relationship around the podcast <laughs> out of this. I told you to keep no. it off air. No, so okay, so 
I'll, I'll join in on this. So, like, you know, being in, in this industry, you know, horror journalism, you know, I mean, we're not – neither one of us are celebrities, you know. I would love to be famous. Oh, God, That's great. No. No, but, but, you know, I see similar writers and people who maybe started writing after me or people who, you know, I've kind of have grown up with writing. I mean, grown up with meaning in the past four years that I've been writing, um, doing stuff. And, you know, it, I, I get it. You know, I, I get the feelings that Anna has, you know, feeling jealous because, you know, someone's getting to interview all these famous people, maybe because they live in LA and they're in a better place for that kind of stuff. And maybe that's why a lot of this cringe stuff really kind of got to me. Is because I was like, oh man, like I've I have felt that way before about some people. Oh yes, I agree completely. I'll echo your sentiment. I feel the same way. I spend far too much time on Twitter, and I'll see people that yeah, it seems like they they're greener or they're you know I I look at my work and I think oh you know my work is just as good maybe even better, and then I see the kinds of things that they're getting, and I'm like, god damn. And then part of me thinks, well, no, you shouldn't feel these kinds of feelings, you should be happy for them because they're doing great and you should be celebrating that. But at the same time, eh, it, I mean, it puts I all that <laughs> self-doubt and all these other things into your mind. Like it's it's so easy to understand how this turns into a spiral and how damaging it can be for your mental health. Right? Well, no, and that's why, listeners, communication and therapy, if necessary, is important. If you have a problem, you need to say it. So don't go to a cottage and then passively, <laughs> aggressively stash magazines or stake out your friends while they're in the shower. Because yes. that is not healthy communication. That shower scene. And I, I know I get into this a lot with like the, the gay, the homoerotic, like whatever episodes that we've done in the past. But like, I have no issues with my body. I just here we go. I just <laughs> everyone pull your chair a little bit closer. No, I just don't think i it, i would be showering with the door open with my friend there i just don't i mean i don't get that i don't get that yeah this to me feels definitely more like a female thing than a male thing and this again is something where i think it would have been maybe beneficial to have a woman i don't know if a woman could speak to all experiences in this regard but i mean i guess th these are just two very good friends and they've slept over like they've done sleepover since they were children or something like i don't know i don't know I did like the way that it was shot, though. So you've got Beth in the shower, and you're not seeing anything. Like, this is very tastefully done. Yeah. But you've you've got Anna then looking at her. Like, she's applying her lipstick in the, the shaving mirror. Mm -hmm. So you can see Beth's face behind her in the mirror. And there's something intimate, but also so tense like you can feel the simmering conflict and it's a little sexually charged like i can understand why people have said this feels like a classier single white female even though i think at mm -hmm. the end of the day it's really more about it's almost like <laughs> killing your friends so that you can put on their clothes and their personality and their skin and just like walk around in it for a day i'm actually a little surprised she didn't cut her face off and wear a mask around the town <laughs> that's in the darker version that's in the unrated extended cut <laughs> that actually would have been a real th that's how you end the movie you wait and you push the killing off until the very end you have her cut of her fucking face and you have her walk around town and the cops come arrest her boom end of movie there you go or she just like yeah like she goes into the woods she has her freak down and then she comes out of the woods and she like starts walking down the hill and then the camera cuts to seeing her front side and she's just wearing her face <laughs> And then cut to credits. Boom. Yeah. Oh, 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 someone make this movie. I mean, like, I guess change the first two acts and make it a little bit different. But I want to see that now. That's oh, that's I mean, good. it's a little leather facey. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, oh, I actually on the nudity, though, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I love it's a little heavy handed, but how much they mention how often Beth has to be nude and how that's all Hollywood wants from her. It's, I mean, you know, that's a given, you know, it's the male gaze and, you know, how women's bodies are objectified and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, Tikal does not show any nudity in this film. Because it's inherently unnecessary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, to me, the the shower scene is in there. And you could argue, like, well, why did they need to, why did she even need to be in the shower? But I think it's to convey the sense of just how intimate they are. Like, it's not a big deal for them to have been around each other. But also, hypothetically, because they're actresses, they're yeah, more, more comfortable, comfortable with their bodies skin, yeah. and that kind of stuff. But I like that they have these kinds of contrasts where 
Beth, you know, like it's important that Beth is more naked because she's the one who's always being asked to be naked. But yeah. then you get that great scene where they do the the script reading and Anna is there in her like workout gear and she's doing like the what's it called when you're basically crunching your vagina as um, an exercise? I don't know what that was, but my dog does something like that on the couch. He just starts humping the <laughs> he, you know, So he'll be like laying down and he just starts kind of humping the air, but he's not like his his crotch area is not touching anything it's just like he's humping the air and i was like wow that looks like butters i don't even know but yeah so she's just like out there just like yeah air fucking whatever it is and it's welcome back to dog porn the podcast (laughs) we haven't mentioned porn once in this episode yet until now so when i always aim to please yeah for sure with a movie like this it's always tricky though because we are coming into this movie Basically, at the beginning of the end of their friendship, we don't really get a lot of them ever, really, of like what their friendship used to be like. And I applaud the fact that there are no flashbacks or anything like that, because I don't need it. No, I mean, and you know, yeah, you're right. Like that shower scene, it kind of shows how close and intimate they are with each other, and how comfortable they are with each other. And before the fan approaches them in the diner, I mean, I guess it's like decent enough I still, and I don't know how you could fit it in without, yeah, doing a flashback, but I do wish there was something where we could see what they were like when they were happy together. Yeah, I suppose you could have done it something like they're looking at Facebook photos or something like that. I mean, you kind of get it in Beth's discussion uh, with her boyfriend before she leaves, where she's sharing some of her concerns about going away for the weekend with Anna because she knows things haven't been good. And you can tell that she she does really want it, but... At the same time, it's uh, it's a little hard when your friend is basically out on the patio being like, you're a bitch. <laughs> so what about the scene right before the murder when Beth is calling her boyfriend on the phone on the balcony? Okay, so this is a fantastic scene yes, and a is. testament to how you can use the camera on a no budget horror film to fantastic effect. Because mm-hmm. we are literally just talking about a couple of pans. Yeah. And you're like, like, we all know Beth is on the phone. She's complaining about Anna. It's not a matter of if. <laughs> loudly. So, <laughs> no, I've got to be quiet. I'm just going to yell about how much I can. <laughs> well, it's so ugly. This movie, it's not a scary movie, but it's no. really good at building, like, like tension. And this scene. And dread. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And But this sequence of the panning back and forth as Beth is on the phone is I mean, I was like, even though I knew it was coming, I didn't remember yeah. when it was going to come. It's a matter of when. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she's there and she's just like, you're like, oh, there's Anna checking her out behind the glass again. <laughs> just staring at her with daggers. I mean, I, yes. I, I, I was just like, when's this bitch going to show up? This bitch is going to show up. What's going to happen? And then, yeah, so they get into a fight. Um And Beth spits in Anna's face. So, yeah, then they run out to the woods and, you know. Anna kills the fuck out of her. So then we have the last 25 minutes of this movie. So did you like anything about this? The ending? Yeah, like this, as I said, I can definitely understand what the point of it is meant to be. And I think it's interesting to see Anna go through what she thinks Beth would do in all these different scenarios. But honestly, after the scene where she meets up with Jesse the bartender, and then they go skinny dipping at night, and then she porks him in the same way that Beth porked her boyfriend at the beginning of the film and it's shot in the exact same way do we have to use i liked all that work yes repeatedly <laughs> okay i had to listen to you talk about how your dog humps a couch yeah but humping is so you have word. to listen to me say the word pork pork Ugh, okay we are now doing asmr videos Blech. pork pork okay whatever continue your story <laughs> continue your fucking story no, I I kind of feel like that was the piece that I was most interested in, was watching Anna's approximation of what a Beth day would look like. Like, oh, okay, well, Beth would put on this sundress, and then Beth would say this line of dialogue and those kinds of things. But to me, after that, where she's like having lunch with Jesse and she has her freak out over, you know, what the waitress says to her, and then she they go to the house for the dinner party, I was just like, okay, I'm a little bored now. I do agree 
Um, again, this is an 87 minute movie we're talking about here. This is not a long movie. Now, compared to Lyle from last week, it's exorbitantly long. But <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but I would argue that Lyle is more efficient with its shorter runtime. Yeah, I feel like honestly, you probably could have cut about seven to 10 minutes out of this section of the film well, and you would still get what you need to get out of it. And, and that is true. I mean, honestly, you cut that dinner party scene. I think you've got a I don't want to say a much better movie, because again, I like this movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't, yeah, I don't think you need the dinner scene. But I do, no. I, I love her waking up after killing Beth, and she puts on her clothes, she goes, she goes to that bar, she orders that same tongue drink, whatever the fuck, and <laughs> she's acting demure. And this really also is a testament to Mackenzie Davis, who, yeah. I almost said Mackenzie Phillips, and I was like, that is not the right actress. That is not, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's a testament to Mackenzie davis of how mm-hmm. she seamlessly transforms from anna to beth and then yeah. playing off that fear of seeing beth you know in her clothes even though she's not really there which i almost wish could have been leaned into a little bit more like there's never any suggestion that beth is not a figment of her imagination at this point like you're never confused when beth shows up and you're like oh wait what's happening Ooh, it's weird you're just kind of like Oh, she's she regrets what she did to Beth and Beth is like haunting her. Yeah, I have a real hard time when people are hallucinating or seeing things that aren't there unless they're drug induced. I have a really hard time buying into that because I've never experienced it. And I think it can come across as kind of a cheap narrative device. Yeah, unless we're talking about, you know, six feet under where it's inherently baked into the premise from the first minute. No, no, no. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And also, though, like Six Feet Under has kind of like this absurdism to it that this yeah. movie doesn't have. No. Now, again, this doesn't break the movie for me. It's fine. Like you know, she sees Beth like three times tops, and it's like really quick, like little yeah. bits. But I really think it was just a way to get Caitlin Fitzgerald to stay in the movie because she was still on set the whole time. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's like, oh, how come my part sucks? Oh, I get to appear later on. Ooh, in hot yeah. workout outfits. Sure. Yes, and you know, hump the air. Because she does that. She does. Both, both actresses both have actresses. an opportunity to hump that air. <laughs> but, so, I mean, yeah. Gentlemen, do we have your attention? <laughs> I don't think we have anyone left behind. <laughs> straight fans? No. Female fans? No? Moisha? Chirp, chirp, chirp. Is on? Crickets. But, yeah, I mean, this third act is just essentially, I mean, it is hammering home this theme that call and, you know, Levine have been drilling into your head the first two acts of the movie you know demure Mm -hmm. shy coy ladies are more successful because that's what a male-run society wants Mm -hmm. they get that man they fit in at dinner parties and then they get arrested for murder yeah i do think that the ending of the movie and when i say ending i mean like the ending like the last shot Mm -hmm. it's it's okay I don't know if there was a lot of satisfaction in the ending for me. I guess I am with you. Like, the first two acts work a lot stronger than the third act. But I do like the beginning of the... I I like the first half of the third act. The part where they recreate the chasing in the woods, but they are swapping roles or they're intercutting between the actual events and then what Mm -hmm. Anna is imagining. That part on brought me back in. I was I was more emotionally invested. But really, that's it's only a couple minutes long. And then we're right into the ending. Yeah, because yeah, she wakes up. And it's actually a really pretty shot too. when she wakes up in the woods, even though she looks a little clean cut for having slept in the woods all night. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes to the cabin and the boyfriend's there. And yeah, they're just wheeling off a body into the ambulance and which like, where was that body? Is it that they had already found it in the woods? Or did she hide the body somewhere else? I have questions. Well, well my question is, though, I know I think it was in the woods. I think she strangled her and left her there because it was it was my understanding that pretty much the second Beth died, she went into like a fugue state and went back to her room and fell asleep. Oh, so you don't think any of that third act actually really happened? No, 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 no. Because, oh, okay. No, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, then she wakes up and she becomes, she puts on Beth's clothes. So. Right. Okay. The body was left in the woods. But then my question becomes, they find her body in the woods. They didn't come across Anna this whole time falling asleep. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We're on the the same page. page. We just didn't. (laughs) We didn't say it very clearly. (laughs) Cut this part out. (laughs) No, no, no. It'll be fine. Um, (laughs) They'll love it. Cut it. Cut it, Grace. (laughs) The listeners love it when we don't know our shit. It's great. We can't say the proper liquors, we haven't seen Persona, and we can't talk about the end of this movie. I'm not going to lie, though. I don't think anyone 
listening. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think anyone listening is going to know what a Sazerac is. Unless they're from Louisiana. Mm. Louisiana, represent. Uh, listeners, tweet me if you know what a Sazerac is. And uh, make and, and send me a picture of you drinking one. That's great. Oh, okay. So we don't condone murder, but we do condone liquor consumption. Unless you're under the age of 21. But this is an explicit podcast, so you shouldn't even be listening to it if you're under 21. But that's uh, a lie. That's that's <laughs> not how it works. And also, if you're Canadian, you've been drinking for three years or two years at that point. Wait, you're drinking ages 18? 18 in Alberta and 19 for most of the other provinces. What the fuck, man? Ugh. Sorry, Alberta and Quebec, 18. The other Wait, one's 19. So if you're 19 in whatever one of those provinces, but then you come to America, your license doesn't give you free reign to drink in America, does it? It does not. Oh, and also, if you grew up in Alberta or Quebec, and then you go to another province for university, all of a sudden, you're back to not being able to drink for that one year. Oh, wow. It sucks. <laughs> well, luckily... Both of us are well over the age of 21, so we don't have to worry about that. It's true. I'm glad uh, that we're both 29. Yeah, it's great. Is there anything more you want to comment on the themes of this movie or this movie in general? Oh, well, I wanted to hear your comparison to her recent venture with Blumhouse. So the new year, new you connection. Oh, okay. Right. Sorry. <laughs> but so, this part we are not going to spoil because yeah. I have not seen it. So I've explicitly said to Trace that he cannot spoil this. No, no, no. It will be very, very light, like basic plot summary. So tell me this sounds familiar. So <laughs> New Year, New You stars Carly Chaikin, who I, I adore if you've ever seen Suburgatory or if you watch Mr. Robot, but she's way better in Suburgatory. Teach their own. <laughs> As a she's great in both. They're very different roles. Yeah, she's good. And, well, and so this this role is kind of like in the it's leaning further away from suburgatory is what I'll say. It's about a group of four friends, and they're all having a sleepover because like they're selling a house that one of them grew up in or something. And the lead girl is Suki. I want to say Suki Stackhouse, but it's Suki Waterhouse. <laughs> Suki who, Stackhouse is a little different. I know. Uh, so Suki Waterhouse, who uh, many of you may know from the awful film The Bad Batch, and I am don't at me, it's terrible. I don't think anyone will know her from that. <laughs> That's the only thing I've... The Bad Batch, really? That's like a big thing. Maybe it's in the horror circles, but like that was a thing. Like, people love that movie. I don't get it. I heard nothing but bad reviews, so I avoided it. I had to watch it twice, because I had to review it, or do an interview with the director... Yeah. And I, oh, it was, it was, I liked it more the second time, but I mean, like, it went from like a one star to a one and a half. <laughs> anyway, Suki Waterhouse is really good in New Year, New You. And it also stars Kirby Howell Baptiste from, well, she's in The Good Place now, but she's done other stuff. I just don't know what she's been in. Anyway, so they're all getting together to, um, say goodbye to this house. And Carly Chaikin's character was in their group of friends, but she has since become very famous. She's a social media star, and she does mm -hmm. like like wellness videos and stuff. She's like an influencer, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. She's an influencer. And Suki Waterhouse has a scar on her face for reasons that aren't described early in the film. But hmm. it's... Is it connected? Maybe. But you're led to believe, based on her facial expressions, that she's real jealous that Carly Chaikin became famous. So she might be plotting something, maybe revenge, during this last sleepover with her friends. All right. So we got female friendships that have poisoned yes. and jealousy over the success of someone else. Yes. So it's very similar. However, it, it it's like an 84-minute movie. I mean, I say movie. It's technically a TV show, but it's a movie. And I think Blumhouse TV produced it. And it feels more like a Blumhouse thing than something like Always Shine. So it's it's definitely less indie oriented, but they both share very similar themes. And maybe because I just watched it, that's why I'm kind of like, I don't want to say being hard on to call to hear in this episode, but being like, girl, we got some deep seated issues. <laughs> She's still <laughs> working through it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is 2019 now and you're still working through these issues, which granted... I think she's giving out great stories, and that's awesome. And, I I mean, I've only seen the first episode of Into the Dark, and now this one. So I've missed the two or three that were in between. Uh, no, two. I missed November, December. I've heard that Puka, the Christmas one, and then this one are the better ones. Yeah, this one was definitely better than the first one. I didn't just like the first one at all. It was just like, it's unremarkable, but fine. I mean, this one is kind of two, but because the actresses are so good, it's kind of like... And also, you know, it's an all-female movie. Which is mm -hmm. great. So I don't think there's a single man in it at all. Cool. 
I do think it's interesting though that she's like I I almost wonder if her rationale for evoking such a similar idea a second time around was because she knows that not many people saw uh always shine so she was like well this material is still ripe it's still totally relevant for this day and age so maybe i'll just repurpose it and make it for a product that i'm sure tons more people have seen than this movie or i posit this what if simon barrett watched always shine (laughs) (laughs) and then he said you know it's it needs good. more influencers. <laughs> it needs more influencers. I think you need. It needs to have more people die, and I think it needs to be bloodier. And I think people need to say "fuck" more often. All I right. do think it's interesting that she's graduating progressively into more and more genre-related fare. Oh, you mark I, my. Words. I like to see that in people's uh, filmographies. She's going to have a Blumhouse movie in the next two years, like a theatrically released movie. Um, especially yeah. with the shit Blumhouse got in last year, Jason Blum, <laughs> about saying how there's no female directors. She's getting one of these movies. Like, And just to clarify, yes, we all know that he walked back on that. But at the same yeah. time, he still said it. So, And I get it. You know, you're in an interview. Like, you say something, you, you don't realize you're saying it. Like, it, it's it's tough. I'm cutting him some slack here. But yeah, it, it was, that was That was not a finest moment. It was <laughs> not his finest moment. But he has done a lot of good work for the genre. So, you know. That's true. Judge it your own will. So that is, um, that's always shine. That is always shine. <laughs> uh, where's my game? Okay. So your game, <laughs> and I'm actually, I'm quite happy that we, uh, since we talked about the drinks, you're actually kind of prepped for this. So oh, fuck. in this movie, the women drink drinks with names that are reflective of their personalities or the place that they're at. So your game for this week is what would your drink of choice be? And it can either be real, boring, or you can make up one. Well, first of all, that whole spiel you just gave is kind of undone by the fact that you thought that Anna's drink was called the sales rack. (laughs) In my defense. You're not laughing. (laughs) That would have been an awesome drink. (laughs) Can you imagine being like, I'm kind of poor and down on my luck and I'm really angry. Give me a fucking sales rack. The sales rack. Ooh, ooh, listener challenge. Make a sales tweet rack. Me, tweet me what you think would be in a sales rack. And then send pictures of you drinking it. I think. Yes, this will be so much fun. It's going to be some kind of well whiskey. <laughs> and I thought you were suggesting like well water. No. <laughs> It'd be made with authentic well water. No. <laughs> but when I when I first started waiting tables and I, people kept saying, you know, I want well whatever, I thought well was a brand. I didn't know it was just like the cheapest liquor you had. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I never tended bar. I was never good enough for that. No, I'm a ter- I was a terrible server. I was awful. Uh because I hated people. Yeah. So okay. Um See, now I'm on the spot to be funny. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, you can be authentic. You can be vulnerable, Trace. Let the people in. Not physically. I know. Andrew might have a problem with that. (laughs) My butthole is open. Oh, Um, my God. (laughs) And you're editing this episode, so I know you're going to keep that in. What does narcissism... Sounds a bit more like a cologne than a drink. Yeah, I would. I mean, I know I've said I'm narcissistic on this podcast before, but I'm really. I don't think I'm actually narcissistic. I would be called the brutal bitch with a heart of stone. No, gold, gold, heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> Just use like a backslash. It's both heart of stone and also gold. Well, no, because I'm really nice. I'm a really nice person, and I don't like hurting people's feelings. But I also like unless he's tending bar. Or if he's following you on Twitter. Dude, in which case, no. he hates you and he hates your drink. I worked at a wine bar in the rich area of Austin, like where Matthew McConaughey lives. And the things I would hear people say. It's called Westlake, by the way. The area is called Westlake. The things I would hear people say. I mean, it, it would it's enough to make you want to kill yourself. It's ter- They're so awful. Well, especially in any kind of service industry. And then you add wealth onto that. Not a good combination. I shit you not. There was a... Did you hear? They're not watering the grass at the golf course today. <gasps> what? An actual conversation. It was awful. So, yeah, sure. The brutal bitch with a heart of gold. Glass. Nice. Stone. Okay. It's a mouthful, but it sounds like something that they would serve at your boy's brunch at the Alamo. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what's yours? You clearly thought about this. So what's yours? Oh, God. Actually, I clearly did not. <laughs> oh. 
I won't lie. It's because half the time you tend to forget that I can also play the game. So we just do you. That's not my fault. You can say I have an answer, too. <laughs> I just like putting you on the spot. Most of the time. <sighs> Whatever. No, come on. Come up with the cocktail. Give it to me. What would mine be? Um, <laughs> like looking around my apartment for inspiration. Yeah, it's fucking hard, isn't it? It is. This was not an easy game. I apologize. <laughs> I will I will steal the first word of yours and mine will be brutal caffeine. So mine would be a coffee porter kind of combination, maybe with some kind of hard liqueur like Kahlua or something semi gross like that. That sounds really gross. Um, listeners, tweet who has the better drink, and also send. Oh, in, that is not fair. <laughs> send in your recipes for the uh, the sales rack. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to get I want to see people get creative with this. No, I, I actually would love that. So hopefully people watch this movie and then they listen to this episode. Well, that is our game for Always Shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, where can people find you on Twitter? People can find me at Beast on my remote. That's the letter B. And you can find me at Traced Thurman. That's Trace D as in dog Thurman. And before we get on to what we're doing next week, Joe, how can people help us? People can get a hold of us on Twitter using the hashtag horrorqueers, or you can always send us an email if you've got something longer to say, and that's horrorqueers at gmail.com. Trace, do we have Patreon <laughs> episodes in February? We do have a Patreon. And uh, so if you head to patreon.com backslash horrorqueers, you can actually go ahead and pay $5 a month, uh, just $5, American dollars, not Canadian dollars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for our Can- We actually do have Canadian listeners, so just to make that very clear. But we have our January episodes on theatrically released. Well, actually, I was going to say theatrically released uh, because we have Escape Room and Glass in there. But mm-hmm. what's going to be in there now for February are our episodes on Velvet Buzzsaw, which is a Netflix movie with uh, a very gay character in Jake Gyllenhaal, and mm-hmm. Happy Death Day to You, which yes. uh, if you if you do if you are a listener of our show, then you will, will be aware that we already did Happy Death Day, which is available for non Patreon subscribers. But if you want to hear us talk about the sequel, then please give us your money. Yeah, God, cough it up. We need to buy the sales rack somehow. <laughs> uh, no, we have to market that shit. That's awesome, right? <laughs> And then, Joe, what are we covering next week? All right. So even though we're technically out of Women in Horror Month, it doesn't mean that the fun has to end. So we're going to keep up the female-directed horror by examining The Rage, Carrie 2, which is directed by Kat Shea. I'm really excited about this because I've only seen it on USA when it's been edited for TV. Oh, so it's like The Exorcist that cut out all the good shit? Yeah, but... I remember thinking this movie was entertaining. Not good, but entertaining. So we're going to see if it holds up 20 years. Oh, oh, sorry. It's the 20th anniversary of this movie, too, by the way. So Mm -hmm. it's a female director and the 20th anniversary. And I'm going to go on record. And I, again, have also not seen this in quite some time. But I remember quite liking this movie. And I think we're going to find it's unfortunately still very timely. Probably so. A lot of bullying going on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, cross out Always Shine. And cross out Horror Queers. See you next time.